Hello and welcome to Celebrating Cinema, a podcast for the love of cinema. I'm your host, Sophie, and I am joined, as always, by co-hosts Kiriko. Hello. And Hugo. Hey, what's up? Today, our producer Yvonne is also joining us. Hi. And after months of his absence, we are also again joined by Elliot. Hello. Yay, Yay. Elliot. Guess who's back? What a beautiful deep voice. Back again. How have you been? <laughs> I feel very wise now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Glad to hear. After a long summer of, on the one hand, opening weekend after opening weekend of summer blockbuster hits, with of course the Barbenheimer phenomenon being the talk of the town, and on the other hand, writer strikes joined by actor strikes, both with still no end in sight, today we will be reflecting on the landscape of cinema at this present moment. The good, the bad, and the ugly. But before we jump in, as always, I would like to ask everyone what you have been watching lately. Oh my God, I watched a beautiful film. I watched um, a film in uh, the Eye Film Museum, which is called, I don't know how it's pronounced, but Atlantide, Atlantide by uh, uh, an Italian filmmaker called Yuri Ankarani. And I don't know if you have means to watch it through anything. Probably not because it was released, I think, two years ago. And then I did a brief program on it. But it is a film on like young boys in Venice who are like obsessed with their speedboats. Mm. And it's like a hybrid documentary fiction where he just goes along these boys and their girlfriends and their boats. And it's very like... um you know, the type of masculine dream that I actually really love and <laughs> want to be a part of. Yeah. It's innocent, that kind of dream or what? Yeah, it's really innocent. It's like just teenagers being teenagers. Mm -hmm. I always love it when people have very, um, I don't know if this is a word, but like accomplishable dreams. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Manageable. Yeah. Manageable, yeah. Realizable. Yeah. Realizable, that's the word. It's like, yes, go yeah. do your thing. Yeah, a cute boat. Yeah. How about you? Did you see something fun? Um, well, kind of in line with the Hollywood blockbuster thing. I did an X-Men marathon. I saw your letterbox reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm about to kind of shit on Marvel in my cold open. But uh, in contrary to that, I, I follow Marvel avidly and... Now that 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 like <laughs> they're saying, yeah. shit on them and yeah. then love, come back to them. Now that they're saying that X Men is going to enter the MCU universe, I was like, might as well make sure I've seen them all. And I'm not sure if it enriched my life, but it was entertainment. How about you, Yvonne? Um, mine is not a movie, but I've been watching Atlanta. Oh, um, nice. I'm on season three right now. I just started and I really like it. I also like the style of it. It's quite cinematographic without being too, I don't know, too on the nose sometimes. So I like that. Nice. I'm also rewatching a TV series that I might, this is a hot take incoming, might be the best TV series ever made. Oh. Lost. Motherfucking no. lost. Oh, no. Dude. <laughs> no, 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 no. I forgot about that. It's, oh, no, so, I love it's so fucking good, dude. Like <laughs> I'm in the first season and it looks so fresh. It's incredible. I'm very much it enjoying looks it. Fresh? Yeah, it looks fresh. Oh, yeah, it no, looks it looks like, so beige. No, it's it like looks, sepia. No, it's, yeah. not sepia. No, it's like vibrant 
deep, lush greens. It's absolutely beautifully shot on film. Entire TV series really? shot on film. It shot on film. It looks so much better than all the shit people are making now. It's insane. Wow. But also for the cinephile credits, this uh, weekend was my 30th birthday. Yay. And I celebrated it by screening a film of one of my favorite directors, Michael Mann, of course. <laughs> and I couldn't, you know... I couldn't possibly do another screening of Miami Vice because then some of my friends would kill me that I always dragged them along for a screening of Miami Vice. So I screened Thief, uh, the 1981 film starring the late and great James Caan. And it was a riot and a hoot and a holler. It was a good time at the movies. So sweet. Yeah. You know, actually, now I remember that I also recently rewatched Miami Vice just because... <laughs> So good, dude. You have so heavily good. influenced me yes. so many times <laughs> by the greatness of this film. And that's secretly what this podcast is about. It's about <laughs> trying to get everybody to, to watch, watch Miami Vice. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I was kind of embarrassed to say that I haven't seen it now. We're in the same boat. Never say never, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another person you've convinced. Ooh. As they would say in Miami Vice, let's take it to the limit one more time. <laughs> okay. Greatness. I'm frantically turning my entire wardrobe inside out in search of something pink. Anything pink. In a few days, we'll have our long-anticipated Barbie night, which consists of an unsurprisingly all-pink-themed dinner, followed by collectively going to the movie theater to see the long-anticipated summer blockbuster. Never before has it been such an event as tonight. We planned it weeks in advance, we had a dress code and a themed dinner, most of all, there was of course the overwhelming excitement of participating in a collective cultural moment with the rest of the world, or at least the rest of the internet. As I'm sat in the theater, not on opening night, but 10 days later, it is completely sold out. And even before the film starts, you can tangibly feel the anticipation of the crowd. It is not even what we are about to see, but the act of seeing that we are participating in right now as the Barbenheimer phenomenon is undoubtedly about to be part of 21st century cinema history. So who would want to be left out? It is because of that reasoning, for sure, that I know that many of my friends went to see Oppenheimer in theaters, when normally I know they wouldn't have. It is why only four days before my Barbie night, I had an Oppenheimer excursion with my family, to my extreme delight. In the all-encompassing age of streaming and the internet, how often will we truly still be able to look back at a film and remember the moment we collectively experienced said film in theaters with the rest of the world? The last time I can remember such a phenomenon of all having to go see a movie or otherwise be excluded from daily conversations was probably Twilight. And before that, the only time I can remember was Probably on my 11th birthday, when I celebrated by taking my entire class to go see Marley and Me, which we had to leave preemptively because one of my friends had a puppy and she started uncontrollably crying, which sparked a fit of hysteria and sadness in all the other partygoers, thus leaving my parents with a group of 20 crying 11-year-olds and a very confused me, thus regrettably forcing us to leave the theater. But I digress. As the lights dim and Barbie appears on the screen, I feel an overwhelming sense of belonging and of pride to be part of something that feels important in multiple ways. But as I leave the theater, 
those same feelings have turned bittersweet. I can't immediately put my finger on it, but something's missing. Because even though participating in the Barbenheimer experience was a great motivator for going to see the film, it wasn't the only one. My expectations for the film itself certainly were as well. I believe Barbie, both on its own and as part of Barbenheimer, is a perfect example of two things happening in the current cinema landscape at once. For those of you listening who are followers of our podcast, you may notice that this episode comes shortly after we discussed Tom Cruise as potentially the last true Hollywood star and last year's Top Gun Maverick as an example of quote-unquote how they don't make him like that anymore. And now here we are discussing a blockbuster phenomenon of which everyone is wondering, will this just be a memorable moment in movie history? Or is it going to be a movement that will or has already changed the trajectory of cinema? One thing we can see happening in the current cinema landscape is a shift of postmodernism to metamodernism. You could say that the sentiment of they don't make films like that anymore points to a modernist way of filmmaking that highlights uncomplicated narratives grounded in morals and reasoning, in sincerity and truth, grounded in an idea of an objective view of reality, all of which can be found in Top Gun Maverick. However, more recently we have shifted to postmodernism in cinema, which, as a response to modernism, takes a more cynical approach by deconstructing the modernist view as a narrative itself without providing a solution or any kind of solace, really. It truly is inherently nihilistic, often leaving us with a feeling of, does it really matter? We might see this in many a Marvel film that overwhelmingly undercuts its own narratives with cynicism and a heaping dose of not taking oneself seriously in any way, which at a certain point becomes incredibly fatiguing. Because at the end of the day, this is still the world we have to live in. So... Enter metamodernism, which in a way combines postmodernist aesthetics and narrative tools of deconstruction, while at the same time trying to find some meaning in it all, grounding its narratives in personal experience and emotional sincerity. We can't go back to modernism because we know too much. We are painfully aware of, of the flaws of our world, but we can't ignore them. What we need is silver lining, a positive sliver of hope that makes us want to go on without negating what has come before. So, take Barbie, which negotiates the difficulties of womanhood in a world that revolves around men, which negotiates the hardships that come with growing out of girlhood and into womanhood, or as the film frames it, leaving Barbie land to enter the real world. It arguably gives us a dedication to true Hollywood entertainment in the form of wonderful costumes and set designs without any CGI in sight, while at the same time making us aware that it is a story we are watching and playing with the liberties that embracing fantasy grants it. It aims to deconstruct the flaws of our system without taking a nihilistic approach. In contrary, overwhelmingly, women around the world have expressed how the film has made them feel seen and less alone, how it perfectly articulates what they feel and has opened the conversation about these experiences with the rest of the world. But this is also exactly where the film fell short for me. Because it highlights a second thing that I recognize in the current cinema landscape. How do you make a film that critiques a system while at the same time being part of that system? Because of course it needs to be said that Barbie is a film about a toy 
made by the company that makes and sells that toy. A company that has earned groundbreaking box office results while all of its writers and actors are on strike because they are struggling to earn a living wage. The payoff of Barbie's meta-modern positive twist wasn't that impactful to me because the deconstruction of the system's flaws honestly wasn't that deep and many issues that I hoped would be addressed were merely glossed over. And most of all, the true bad guys in this real-life scenario of people fighting on the streets for their livelihoods, the executives and the CEOs, come out of this film almost completely unscathed and with more money in their pockets. Which, with the knowledge that the company that makes the toy made the film, is of course unsurprising. But at the same time, working within that system is also exactly what enabled the film to make those sets and those costumes, to work with an overstuffed cast of incredible actors and ultimately for its reach to be so far and wide that it is the phenomenon that it is today. So where does that leave us? There's good, there's bad, there's ugly. What do we do with that? I don't have an answer to that myself, but that is what we will be discussing today. Um. Fierce analysis. Snappy, it's really good. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Hey Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. You can find me under the lights, diamonds under my eyes. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday, and so is tomorrow, and every day from now until forever. You guys ever think about dying? Yeah, I think you pinpoint exactly almost the emotional trajectory that I had when I was going to watch the film. The sense of excitement and anticipation and the actual moment of participating in the media event of watching Barbie in the same week that I was also watching Oppenheimer. Already being slightly disappointed by Oppenheimer and then going into Barbie. Also finding it at the one hand quite brilliant how it operates within this very strict studio system, but then operates in a way, and I think the metamodernism is the apt way to describe it, in a way that also didn't feel entirely pleasing for me as a film. As a medium phenomenon, I thoroughly enjoyed it, but the film experience itself left me a bit wanting more. So I'm also in this very conflicted state, and it is a state, Barbie is maybe the perfect film to compare it or relate it to the entire film industry at large now in this conflicting sense of being in the state of in-betweenness, in perpetuity. So I'm basically repeating your points because they are so well done. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Thank you. That was exactly what I was feeling. But is there any of you that actually thought that the film was like a banner? No, but what I remember from my viewing experience, like the you know, that moment that you describe is that sometimes when you watch something that is, um, let's say, easily digestible, Barbie felt easily digestible and there was some alignment. And therefore, it was a sense of comfort that I didn't really know before or that I could compare to 
a different film, maybe I would say like Bambi or something. It had like the same experience of watching Bambi. And I think that is quite valuable in itself. Like it's, I didn't want for it to align completely with what I believe and be, be the, you know, the we are going against all that we have been before type of shit. In my opinion, it's, it's critiqued more than it deserves to be somewhere. And I, I can't I pinpoint why, but yeah, it's like, yeah, Tom Cruise is a great comparison because we have like 36 Mission Impossibles and we have like 36 variations of Mission Impossible. And, and you know, because it is the status quo, we accept it for what it is but because barbie goes slightly against it but operates within the same system it gets on the other hand all the critique you know what i mean like so you're not excited after seeing mission impossible dead reckoning (laughs) part one about mission impossible dead reckoning part two come on that's crazy it was not it was not for me it was not for me that was not my comfort (laughs) but but even you're agreeing with uh kiko yeah in the sense that i felt like like what she just said is right. It, not that it doesn't deserve to be discredited, but I feel like it was just made for fun. And like sometimes things just have to be fun and not that. I don't feel like they meant for it to be like this whole like deep critique of society. Oh, that's an interesting actually observation because it's true that the entire weight of the film industry could be put on the shoulders of a single Barbie because in its critiquing mode or its kind of dialectics, which is the thing that I was constantly thinking about, that the film goes in and out of kind of like an observation that turns into a critique by observing it so thoroughly that the observation itself becomes the critique, right? Mm -hmm. Because it takes the Barbie philosophy so seriously that you see the facade of the Barbie philosophy and it's kind of like sheen of superficiality that is often associated with it. But then at the same time, it takes the superficiality so seriously that you also feel always the seriousness that is underneath that, the Mm -hmm. sincerity. And this mode of going back and forward, the dialectic circle, was quite well put into a fantastic mainstream movie. And my gripe with the film is as a movie experience itself, after its first act, I just completely checked out emotionally of what was going on in the film. I would say that the second half of the film is just basically kind of dog shit. Um, Wow. And that was my disappointment that I was incredibly amazed by the kickoff of the movie. But then for me, it doesn't work as a movie anymore. It just only becomes a piece of media that is Mm. interesting, but not ultimately an entertainment time at the movies. Right. Barbie in a weird way made me think not so much about Tom Cruise, but mostly about my favorite James Cameron's Avatar. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) Which does many of the critiques, but it works as a movie, as a movie. And that was like, and this is, I think, where your metamodernism observation is so incredibly strong because what I think these films are kind of torn between either wanting to be films or reflections of films within the mm. landscape yeah and to have your cake and eat it too we all know is quite difficult and this is the ultimately for me the tension that's at the heart of this film but also about your big question 
moving forward, what does a film like this mean for how we watch and make and think of mainstream films? So what do you guys think about this tension, maybe? I'm still thinking about how you clocked out the second half of the film. Like, I did so not clock out the second half of the film. You mean the turgid pace of them just walking from one point to the other and kind of like hitting the same notes all the time? (laughs) 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 No. I thought that like from the second half, like from the part where they go to the real world, nah? Like more or less. Well, there are some fun observations in there, but basically that's where the film for me really loses a lot of momentum. Actually, it's already on the road to towards it i do understand what you mean i didn't have the same experience but i did feel that after that it was kind of just joke after joke after joke and some of those jokes were also even reused from the first part Mm -hmm. of the film i feel the film consciously works with repetition but and that's a risky thing to work i think it's like the second half of the film is like such a beautiful it shows modern masculinity in such a cute like likable and unlikable way that I've never seen before in film. Like, you know, I, I like truly understand the, you know, the itch that Barbie goes through. Like I heavily identify <laughs> with what is happening there. Wait, what itch do you mean exactly? This whole facade of, of what patriarchy is in 10 pages, let's say it's like, I don't know. To me, it's quite profound because I, it really feels like, you know, a pressy flash of what patriarchy is, but then it's, it's so real also in so I many think ways. That what the film does best is a thing that a very good meme can also do is just capture a zillion complicated concepts and observations and ideas into almost one single image and yeah. it works and you click and it clicks yeah, and you I get like it. Yeah, but I like that. I love I, no, that. This is, yeah. this is me giving yeah. a big okay, compliment okay. to the film. This is what I very much like. Yeah. I just feel like as a mode of storytelling that the film is at odds with itself and that makes me wonder about where to go from there in terms of the narrative construction of a mainstream movie because it's true we've talked about this often on the podcast, like, okay, you still have this, these big stories or these big characters like superhero movies and tell a single big story in it that is good and mm-hmm. works as a single story. You just said that before we started recording that you still watch all the Marvel stuff. And haven't you been frustrated with that they kind of painted themselves in a corner storytelling-wise mm-hmm. So how do you get out of that? And Barbie does that in a very conscious way, but I'm not sure if that's... Maybe this film tiptoes on that line and for some it works or for some it doesn't. Yeah. Mm. But it is not a model to be applied to everything. You can't do this no, with No, and I think somehow it like the film falls into a line of like this... Uh, I don't know if this is a word, but I call it like hyper-feminism, like... When Beyonce started saying that women rule the world, like the girl bossification, yeah, 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 the girl bossification, and you know, some I feel very aligned with that, of course, and but then it also it falls flat within 
three seconds mm. of asking further questions. The, mm-hmm. My favorite bit of the movie also, you know, we don't have to get into it, the whole Lizzo thing, but the funniest <laughs> thing in the film is that Lizzo song where she sings, that power looks so good on you. <laughs> and <laughs> that like just that, hearing that in the cinema was like, yeah, this is Yas Queen, girl bossification, <laughs> just in one single bit of a film. I thought that was very funny as well. Yeah. I don't hate that. I just thought it was amusing. Yeah, it's, I, that's the thing. It's very amusing. And and I think for, for it being a, a big movie, you know, it's, it's pretty big. Like, I mean, Beyonce was big, but then... Yeah, going back to what you said earlier, that it receives a lot of critique that it doesn't necessarily deserve. I kind of felt that moment where when I left my kind of scathing review of how the feminism isn't strong enough in this film, then I kind of looked back at what I wrote about Oppenheimer and I was like, <laughs> wait, I <saw> it. <laughs> yeah, wait, what am I doing here? Exactly what you said. Like with Oppenheimer, I went into it with the thought of this is a film made by men for men and I'm just going to accept that. And then for Barbie, I wanted it to be so much more, which wasn't really fair Can to I just expect that. say about Oppenheimer that during the film, at some points, I was thinking about an episode of uh, Celebrated Cinema that I was not in, but where Kiriko was talking about uh, Christopher Nolan and basically described his entire philosophy of filmmaking as putting two hands in the air and one saying time and the other saying space and then just waving his hands and then I was watching Oppenheimer and sometimes I had, and then I had to think about it and I just was cracking up in my seat <laughs> it yeah. really changed my relationship with Christopher Nolan it's profoundly yeah. <laughs> what, what was your um, letterbox oh, review on Oppenheimer exactly. now I want to know she went off on Barbie and then on Oppenheimer it was literally like two lines yeah, <laughs> yeah. literally yes <laughs> That's like the the left wing people have like a word for that. I think just that left wing in crowd fighting, you know, it's always kind of like the correct people that want to correct the other correct people even more. Oh my God, girl. What? Yeah. This left? No, it did I'm not. I'm sorry. Girl. I really liked what? it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can I just read it out loud? Yeah, you can. Oppenheimer, four stars. I'm not gonna lie, this slapped. I didn't get to see it in IMAX and above all else, the sound design was fantastic. So I think I want to see it again, but then in IMAX. I'm sorry. Wow. I enjoyed it. Basic bitch Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, and then I wrote my entire like, oh, it was such a long review for Barbie, but like- How was Barbie's sound design? (laughs) I mean, the soundtrack was great. I loved it. And then I just looked at myself and I was like, wow, I'm kind of contributing to the problem here. <laughs> because exactly what Yvonne said, but I took it way too seriously. Wow, yeah. What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> yeah. That could have been your cold open. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, I sent this review to my mom when I was writing my thesis. She was like, yes, use this passion for writing your thesis. <laughs> use this passion for finding a job. <laughs> yes, that as well. <laughs> but yeah, no, I took, I, it's just, I put the entire weight of feminism to kind of put it bluntly on Greta Gerwig and Barbie and I really shouldn't have. No, but maybe it's awesome that I think the film can have that because it can be, you know, the film is at the one hand feminism one-on-one, like just, oh, it's kind of weird to be a woman in the world. But then at the other end, it can also, I think, sustain and carry 
a lot of critique, but also a lot of praise because the film is a complicated and messy text already per se, always every film is that in some regards. So I've, maybe it's good that there's a text that is so fruitful to actually really f- struggle with, you know, yeah. to sink your teeth into. I fully agree because it has sparked such a big conversation between everyone on all sides of the debate. And I think that's the most important thing, really, at the end of the day. Agreed. It may be obvious, but why did you put all those expectations on Barbie? Yeah, that's a good question. That's what I asked myself after as well. I think because it was made by Greta Gerwig mm-hmm. and that was just it. She is the feminist. Yeah. In guess. cinema. Yeah. What is the most feminist film in cinema, according to you guys? Legally Blonde? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, yeah. But that's, I mean, that's kind of OG Barbie. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought as well yeah. afterwards. One of the reasons I wanted to come here tonight was to discuss our future. Of course. I plan on running for office someday. Warner. I think we should break up. What? Oh. If I'm going to be a senator, I need someone serious. I'm seriously in love with you. I love you. Liar! This is the type of girl that Warner wants to marry. A law student. Going to Harvard is the only way I'm going to get the love of my life back. For my admissions essay, Action. I'm going to tell all of you why I'm going to make an amazing lawyer. I feel comfortable using legal jargon in everyday life. I object. Her list of extracurricular activities is impressive. She was in a Ricky Martin video. Aren't we always looking for diversity? Welcome to Harvard. I think that Barbie is a vindication of a kind of film that was always historically deemed as a girl movie. Films that I also in the 21st century grew up watching because I grew up in a family mostly with my mom and my sister with the three of us in the household. So there was a lot of uh, Legally Blonde and uh, what's the name of those cheerleaders, the cheerleader movies, you know? the Bring it on. Bring it on. Mm. Those kind of movies, you know? And I feel like those definitely seep into the Barbie cosmos a lot. Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't bag them as necessarily the most no. feminist but they are rich feminist texts for sure <laughs> it's funny because now i'm i was writing today about catherine braya french uh, filmmaker who's known for a very kind of like you know erotically charged and often sexually explicit films that show sex and lust and desire in the complicated and messy way that it is yeah She's been transgressive and rebellious and a very interesting filmmaker. But also her, I can't claim as the most feminist because she's a type of French feminist from a very specific generation. You know, it's like, what kind of feminism are we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. And then we would also have to define what most feminist means. Well, let's say something that changed something. Have any of you seen Born in Flames? No. No. Okay. I would say for me, that's probably one of the most radical, very radical. It's about a diverse group of women who sort of lead an uprising in their neighborhood in New York. And it's like pretty mind blowing. So I would start there and see where you end up. Put it on the watch list. It's by Lizzie Borden. Well, I had to think a lot about, you know, the, the kind of like the illegal Barbie movie by uh, Todd Haynes. 
Superstar, the Karen What Carpenter that? story. That's the first film that Todd Haynes really made uh, as a graduation film, I think, after film school. It's a film about Karen Carpenter of The Carpenters, the super legendary pop group. And he made the entire film. It's about a, basically a biopic about her life. She's in a band with her brother. They're The Carpenters. But she has a very severe eating disorder. And he made the entire film using Barbie dolls in a super lo-fi DIY way, where he's like putting the Barbies in front of the camera as if it's like a, a puppet theater piece of cinema. It's fucking sick. And he uses the Barbies as a commentary on her self-image with regards to her eating disorder as well, but also as her iconic status as the front woman of one of the most renowned pop bands in that era of the times. And it's a film that as a result, was banned because the Carpenters didn't allow the story to be you know, published like that. It's wow. a very you know, severe story, but also it's not a Mattel-approved yeah. film. Mm -hmm. But it's a film that has that same dialectic tension as Barbie has, but then from a also DIY New York art school project uh, philosophy. So it's a film that I had to think about a lot in this, uh, in this regards. Oh, sweet. It's a really awesome film. I want to watch it. There's this. a copy, like there's a VHS rip on YouTube. Wow. And I think they're actually trying to figure out if they can release a restored version of the film and screen it officially because it's very literally screened because it's not a legal film, basically. But I think next year they were, they're trying to present it in a theatrical version as well. Mark, that's yeah. cool. Who's they? Uh, I think Todd Haynes' team mm. and maybe some distributor in the US or something. Right. Okay, that sounds cool. That sounds very feminist. <laughs> Sophie, you, you know, you associate Barbie, rightly so, I think, with the state of, at large of the film industry and also kind of go into the labor mechanics behind the scenes. But can we find a way to move forward from Barbie and explore what a film like this means maybe in an economic or in a cultural sense in the media landscape. Because what I am thinking about is, this is a film that was also sorely needed in a kind of economically very rough time for film theaters. But then it's kind of ironic and kind of tragic that it's a mainstream blockbuster movie by the Mattel and the film studio that needs to be again the savior of cinema you know mm -hmm, it's like mm -hmm. what how do we see the economic drive behind Barbie and how that applies to what kind of films might be made and I, I know it's a bit of a crystal ball question but it's a very pressing one to add to that does this encourage studios though to tempt independent filmmakers to cross over not necessarily that independent filmmakers want to We, I think we can all agree that the landscape of blockbuster films needs freshening up. Disney and, and did it with the Star Wars stuff. You know, they often got like a quote-unquote more indie-ish director on a project that often resulted in a cancellation of the project wholesale because of creative differences. Because that's ultimately then maybe Greta Gerwig is in the rare position to actually fight for some of the films. I remember that she said that there's this very important moment in the Barbie movie where Margot Robbie as Barbie says, does anybody think about dying, you know? And it's this existential thing that just blurbs out and 
the studio wanted it to be God, but the entire movie is about this existential thought that she is having. And she said, well, if you cut this line, then it's a film about nothing. It becomes a nothing burger. She actually had maybe enough weight in the industry to pull that off, to say this needs to be in the film because otherwise it's not the film that I want to make. Maybe moving forward, that arrangement like that relationship of power dynamics will be different and the studio has more power. So then, you know, they hire another director to make the, like they are doing, you know, the Hot Wheels movie and the, and the Barney movie. And the, I think uh, Lena Dunham is making the Polly Pocket movie. Oh well that's Sorry. a great it actually is a great meta casting or selection because she made a film called Tiny Furniture and now she's right. making Polly Pocket anyway you know those things are now happening and maybe they are not all great agoric and don't have that power in the industry to say no fuck you we need to make it like I want now I mean that's also happening in the, a lot of the later Marvel films where they've yeah. been uh, hiring bigger and more like indie kind of directors and in those films i think you can really see that those directors even though they have weight they've been trying to incorporate their own style into the films but at the end of the day it's still the studio uh, controlling the final cut and i mean marvel films are made to be formulaic so if you have someone that tries to step out of that formula and then the studio coming back in in post-production and trying to work the formula back into it then you have something that doesn't work at all and a fan base that feels disillusioned but then the problem of the of the current day state of hollywood is not necessarily the switch in the directors chosen for the films it's more so like the entire production mm. teams of for sure you know the people who we never see and and uh yeah I have a kind of like conspiratorial thing about Barbie that I feel like Greta Gerwig is basically wreaking in these billions and millions just so that her husband, Noah Baumbach, can keep making these middle-brow, non-profitable <laughs> movies about like quirky hipsters or in New York or whatever. And that she's kind of like the successive go-getter tiger mom so that he can make his kind of like middling pretentious art stuff that I actually on record like, but it is just in general not profitable. And that she is, such a cute she's the Mecenas of his <laughs> kind of thing. I kind of envision it like that, and that make that I find that very funny. Yeah, because you see that in their films also. No, you know that dynamic is there. But you see the Greta Garrick stamp on Baumbach, but you also definitely see the Baumbach humor in Barbie. For sure. It's for sure there. Yeah. It's also a little bit of him is in Barbie. I find yeah, yeah, that yeah. quite funny and they as well. Did write the script together. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, to kind of you know as a send off, you know maybe some of the more powerful people moving forward are the people that understand that freedom and find out how to take it. You know, Francis Ford Coppola sold his shares in his own winery brand so that he can make his final big movie, which is a 100 million plus budgeted American movie mm -hmm. that is entirely self-financed. He raised the money That's himself. So it's his own money. It's only his studio, his company that is producing it. That's the most expensive boss. indie maybe in the history of indie films. 
That's crazy. And now, like Harmony Kareen, he had his latest film in Venice called Agro Drift, which is a film that I really love and a lot of people hate. But his philosophy is, fuck it, let's just fuck around. And instead of making one fifty million movie dollar, let's make fifty one million dollar movies and see what happens. Just literally mm-hmm. fuck around and find out, but creative control and let's just mm-hmm. see if it sticks. Mm-hmm. Maybe those kind of filmmakers that find alternative economic means within the system will be the ones that thrive within it what a hassle though maybe it's the logistical endpoint the most iconic toy the most successful movie it's done fucking sad man wow so you're saying that barbie isn't the start of a movement but it's the end point i think so sincerely i think it more signals an end of a thing than the beginning of a thing for sure mm. All right. <laughs> well, <laughs> on that happy note, uh, I think we're done, right? Or does anyone want to say anything more? Yeah, I don't know. It's a bit pessimistic. Well, is it? Because it's like, it is a feel-good story. Somebody made the thing in the system. It worked to such a tremendous degree that it can withhold even the most rigorous feminist critiques. Yeah. Somebody's making a lot of money off of it. But then we also maybe, and a lot of people go to the cinemas and then maybe it's time to find alternatives. And maybe yeah, that's a good thing, you know? People are fighting for, for the big guns to change. And of course, finding an alternative outside of the system is an option, but that's not, that doesn't bring a lot of fruition. You know, it doesn't bring hope for support. Do you know what I mean? Like I get like the... You're saying it's not fixing the problem. Yeah, it's not protected. Yeah, but like we don't, we shouldn't count on the studios that make Barbie to be protective of us. They will always be a capitalist, you know, company that will, in general, always want to be exploitative and extractive. That's their entire claro. yeah, means of profit. So this is a good inspirational story. The most un- in the most unlikely cases, and also comes at a very the nadir basically of mainstream cinema and how it's operating because it's crumbling in front of our very eyes. But at the other hand, it shows that you can pull off things that are creative and mainstream. And then maybe we should take that as a way to go forward and find just the alternative means to make it in a different scale. I don't know. Okay. I see a silver lining in the pessimism because I think... The model, like film, never has a model. You can never replicate a film and count on its success, right? So people are going to try to do it. It's probably going to work a little bit occasionally, but it will never be another Barbie. There will never be another Barbenheimer, which is maybe a good thing. It happened once, it was lightning in the bottle, and now we need to find the best way to redirect that energy. Okay, goodbye. Well said. Goodbye to this world. (laughs) If you've missed our discussion of Tom Cruise as the final true movie star, you can listen back to our episode, Will Tom Cruise Save Cinema? And in October, Cruise will also grace the screens of Lab 111 again in the Scorsese film, The Color of Money, Showtimes and Tickets. Certified banner. (laughs) (laughs) Endorsed by Hugo. Showtimes and tickets for which can be found on lab111.nl. 
In case even the mere mention of the absolute masterpiece that is Twilight has made you in the mood for experiencing its cult-like status again, you can dive into our conversation with director Catherine Hartwig or listen to our episode revisiting the cult's phenomenon of Twilight. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on whichever platform you're listening on and share so more people can find us. Make sure to subscribe and stay up to date with all new releases. And if you want to join the conversation, feel free to send any questions at celebratingcinema at lab111.nl and follow us at lab111 on Instagram. As always, we provide show notes, including all films mentioned at celebratingcinema.com. This was a Lab 111 production, edited and produced by Elliot Bloom, with music from Hugo Emmerzaal and artwork by Studio FFF. Thank hey. you. Bye.